Hello, this is Adam Odin, and I want to welcome you to the third season of Raise Your Standards, and this is episode two. And today we have a special guest. So I'm hosting Paula Kirst, who is CEO and co-founder of Gecko Materials. And we met here in the Bay Area through church and a young professionals, Christian organization, unofficial organization, but there's a lot of us. <laughs> there's like 300 plus people in the Discord. So Anyways, uh, I'll let her give an introduction of herself because she can explain herself way better than I can, but super excited to have you here. And if you just want to share a little bit about what you do, who you are, and then I definitely have questions to get to after that. Great. Hello. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited to be here today. I am Kavala Kirst. I am from the Bay Area, Los Gatos specifically, so born and raised Californian, uh, founded Gecko Materials in at 2021. So, you know, miss the pandemic. Um, I love to, yeah, like dance, hike, be a part of this crazy 300 person group, um, you know, play board games on like a Monday night or like a Wednesday night. We have wine nights. So that's kind of what I love to do for fun, ballroom dance, build, create things. And just like explore the Bay Area some more and other parts of California. And I ventured across the United States as well. So yeah, I um, graduated from Stanford with my PhD in mechanical engineering and then immediately spun out my research um, to Gecko Materials. Wow, quite the introduction. Um, before we go into your company and school and all that, I just, one thing you said was ballroom dancing, and I thought that's super cool, because I knew you did ballet, right? You do some ballet, and I was also a dancer, so if you could just share, like, how you started that, and why you still like to do that outside of work, because I know you probably have limited time, so I would like to learn more about that. Yeah, of course. Uh, Ballroom dancing actually was something that my mom and I were, like, driving down the road, Camden, and we saw a ballroom sign and I was like, mom, I really want to go in there and see if they like have classes. Cause I was trying to do and get into more dance classes and like ballet, the ballet studio across from my high school was like extremely expensive. So I walked into this ballroom studio and the classes were like super affordable. And so I just picked that up around like middle school. And then I competed in high school and a bit of college and I just loved like the friendship groups that I made there. And we had like a little like comp team where we would like go travel. And it was just a lot of fun. Amazing. Always make entrances on the podcast. No, thank you for that. I also love doing dance and it's something that's definitely relaxing for me. So after a long work day to come back and to whether it's at home or doing it somewhere, I also really like that a lot. Uh, and I'm sure you use the left side of your brain for a lot of the day. So it's nice to use the right side. Um, but with that, I would love to just explore a little bit more about your schooling. And so kind of starting from square one of like, how did you decide to pursue mechanical engineering? What did that look like? And then after that, we'll dive more into what company is like today. Yeah, even though my grandfather was a mechanical engineer, I didn't really get into it until actually my end of junior year, senior year of college. So I actually had like kind of a late start. I went to a community college after high school. I had like the grades to go into college, but we couldn't afford it. Um, as a family, my mom was a teacher, super hardworking. Um, but unfortunately, teachers don't get paid that much. 
and uh needs to change um but we you know sent me to a community college and then I transferred to Berkeley and I did math and physics and then during my like end of junior year senior year I picked up a minor in mechanical engineering it was a club that was located on like my side of campus I know now that I'm older I'm like wow places are so close when you're on a college campus but you know when you're starting out you're like I just want to be lazy and stay near my dorm. And so I joined mechanical engineering because I had a bunch of friends in it. And like, hey, join the club. So I joined the club. And they're like, hey, take these classes with us. So I started taking a design class and I fell in love with it. And then I quickly picked up like fluids for fun. People thought I was crazy. Um, Like structural mechanical engineering, just a bunch of like classes my friends were in as like upper divs. And I had a blast. And I was like, you know what? I love math, but it's getting now too theoretical and I don't see myself as doing a PhD in math anymore like I did when I was younger. And so I totally pivoted my career and applied to grad school in mechanical engineering. I got into UCLA for mechanical and aerospace aerospace engineering. And I did my master's there in two quarters and then started a PhD. And during that third quarter that was at UCLA, I got an offer letter from Stanford because I had applied and like semi-rejected where they just didn't have funding to fill, fill my spot. They're like, oh, next year. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, right. I'm just going to go to UCLA. I had a blast. UCLA was like, my favorite. Can I say that? Mm-hmm. This is like published. <laughs> All these school very math right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love UCLA, the heart and the community and the people. Um, and that was like my first full transition into mechanical engineering. And I really like arrived there. And I was like, this is what I love doing. I got my hands dirty. I took mechanical engineering shop at Berkeley. Um, and then I did that at UCLA and then at Stanford, obviously I did like a sand casting class and I just loved working with my hands, getting the math to be applied, that I learned and physics to be applied. And yeah, it just like the rest of history did my PhD in mechanical engineering at Stanford. And yeah, we're just super blessed that kind of God led me to meet certain friends at Berkeley that introduced me to this amazing major, which I had known about, but wasn't like very much on my radar. It's a very like kind of quiet major, at least maybe for kids now it's more obvious, but like when I was going to school, like not as advertised as much as I thought it would be. Yeah, definitely. I would assume mechanical engineering, if you don't know a lot about it, you're just like, oh, you work on cars. And like, that's <laughs> it, which is probably not at all the case. Uh, so that's really interesting and good to like explore other things. And I'm definitely a big proponent of not siloing into one area of like, oh, I only want to do communications um, because my leadership minor, that's what actually I feel more passionate about. And I think that really applies more to my job on a day-to-day basis, which had I not tried, tried to take like one general class outside of my major, I would have never known. So definitely a big proponent of that, but you said a lot of things in a short amount of time that like, honestly, you should be so proud of yourself. I'm just like, Stanford, like just rolling off all this stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what a queen who is after like the world, like for real. That's amazing. Um, but with that, I'm sure there comes a lot of challenges and some little fun games. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of it's probably not um fun, but you're driven and passionate about it. So keep doing it. But what are some of those challenges you have? Some of the challenges, um, that I went through in changing to this major was not having some of the very basic foundations, even though I had a math and physics background. 
there's a lot of learning, um, especially in like the coding area of things. So anytime I had to like code something, it was a lot extra kind of speed, foundational things to get up and running to like be on the same kind of playing field. Um, also in just being an engineer and sometimes quite unfortunately being a female in engineering, um, there was, you know, moments of unfortunate you know, sexism and stuff and, you know, and I know a lot of women had a lot tougher than I did, but there were definitely, um, points and people that, you know, made my life a little bit more difficult, or I felt, you know, kind of like pointed out. And some of my group projects, or most of them, were amazing men who were very supportive of my, like, new endeavors of being a mechanical engineer and, like, supporting and loving me and having me join the team and just, like, giving me the responsibilities. But then there was definitely sometimes those um, people that kind of were, like, oh, well, I, like, I'll just do this. Like, no, 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 like, I can learn this. Like, like, please let me do this, you know, kind of thing. And yeah, it was just interesting. Um, you know, other challenges. Honestly, like, kind of going back to what you are saying earlier about, like, branching out and not, like, siloing yourself. I'm, like, huge, huge advocate of that. Like, I have taken so many random classes. <laughs> like, so many. Like, yeah, Cal, I took, like, eight classes a semester, which is, like, kind of insane. But, like, all I did was study. Like, I did not have a huge social life until, like, my senior year, my second semester senior year, because um, I took so many classes in like, architecture and, like, biology. Um, I learned so many different, like, little snippets of other people's, like, majors and stuff that I just, like, fell in love with, like, a little bit of communications. Like, school is, like, a candy store. So, like, any young girls out there, like, applying to college, like, you don't have to be set in a major to, like, take it all, like, take that course reader, read it, and, like, if something looks fun, just take that class and just, like, try it out, um, but kind of with that, like, challenge is, like, you won't have much of a social life if you take a lot of classes, or if you, like, stretch yourself a little too thin, but honestly, it's worth it, so, like, a challenge with, like, a positive side effect, I guess. Yeah, that's hard, and I think kind of, like, also, I'm the kind of person who like puts more on my plate than I can sometimes handle and then have to back puddle to figure out how to fit it all together. So I think it just depends like being able to say like yes to classes, but maybe in areas where you're like very passionate about it or think you could be to like discover what you want to do. So that's not as good advice. But now to the fun part. I want to hear more about your business and what you do and just all the cool things you want to share with us and uh, why you are so passionate about it. Of course. So Get the Materials has been, like, as, like, the idea of, like, spinning out of business has been something that I wanted to do since I was, like, four years old. Like, I didn't know I was going to need Get the Materials, but I knew that I wanted to start a company from a very, very young age. Maybe it's, you know, the water in Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, yeah, and... Uh, that's kind of like a fun kind of thing to know, like just going through school, like I eventually want my own company and people are like, why are you going to a master? I guess that's kind of also John is like, people always ask me like, you're so passionate about engineering mm -hmm. or like, and making a company. Why don't you just make a company? You don't need a PhD to make a company. But I wanted to do a PhD for myself and do the learning. And then I happened to be blessed with a project that I was able to spin out. So I really like refocused my PhD to a product 
that I saw had potential to have market like viability. Um, and so just kind of like having that like knowledge of like eventually I really want to start a company if possible, kind of looking towards that goal. And even if it didn't work out, I would have started the company regardless. Um, but like going through undergrad, master's in, in grad school, PhD, I was always in an entrepreneurship organization. So I um, was a part of Sigma Eta Pi, SAP. I love the organization, the brothers. There's a co-ed, so men and women fraternity. And we really like got to grow as leaders and as people. And then when I went to UCLA, I was part of the same organization, just a different chapter. And then when I went to Stanford, I started the chapter there. So I really was able to like found an organization and a chapter and kind of like get some of that foundation of being a startup um, in that aspect. And and then I like got to network with VCs and like see other people's startups and like hold panels and have mixers and just like coffee chats and fireside chats where I really got to delve in and like pick people's brains. And a part of that process was like me just being a, a student saying, hey, how can I help your startup? Like I see the potential here. I see your passion. Would you mind if I helped you along the way? Um, and like, like I was learning a lot. So it, it is really like, would you mind me helping? Because sometimes I think in our like intern clause that our lawyer has like a, you know, boilerplate kind of thing. Maisie's like, grr. <laughs> yeah, my lawyer's nice too, Maisie. It's okay. Um, that there's like a clause in it that said like, you might not add anything to the company. Like it might just be learning for your own sake of learning, which is something that it's like, yeah, you could help the company or um, as an intern, or like you could just learn and the company's really helping you. So I did think that I added a lot of value to companies that I helped because I would help scale their manufacturing because I did, I think these kind of like unscalability manufacturing, mass manufacturing um, emphasis. So I was able to kind of watch other companies scale and like build manufacturing for um, like manufacturing lines and things like that. And so I got to take that skill set. And as soon as I hit the ground running with Decker materials, I was able to just like tell VC like very like upfront, like you do not have to worry about scaling. Like that is something like the mechanical hardware of it, the aspect of it, like I have honed over the past like, you know, six plus years. Um, and I feel very confident that I can take a product and mass manufacture and bring it to the scalability needed. I feel like there's more questions in there that I didn't answer. <laughs> there you go. I think one thing when I first met you, you were telling me it's on the International Space Station. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. So can you just tell us more about that? Because I'm really curious what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so our adhesive was started as a PhD project about 20 years ago, the space of biomimicry was born um, with Mark Kodowski, who is the company's technical advisor and my PhD advisor. So biomimicry, the study of kind of animals and how we can design and mimic you know, God's great creations. And so we looked at uh, geckos with UC Berkeley in a collaborative project. And then after that, Stanford kind of looked at more of like the mechanical engineering, like design something that mimics the gecko. And then Berkeley was looking more at the biology of like the mechanics of it, and like taking the actual gecko, having, you know, not really like slicing the foot off, but like slicing the little hairs off and like imaging that, taking a gecko and kind of like hanging it off a glass plate, um, that kind of stuff. And then like really studying that and like getting feedback. And then Stanford 
and after 10 years of that, I refined the geometry to what it is today. And then that geometry um, in the past like five, six years um, was kind of looked at in vacuum. And then that's when there was an AstroBee project, it was called, where there's little satellite docks. I wasn't on this particular project, but it came out of my lab. And so I like got to see it, got to touch it. I got to like sign this cute little sticker that we made in the lab. And it was like sent up to the space station and then back down to us. And he's like, pretty cool. Um, yeah, so basically the adhesive can be used in vacuum. And like, you can't do suction in vacuum. They have Velcro up in the space station, but it's like, not ideal when we've been talking to the people that have interacted with that space. They're like, yeah, from a user point of view, it's very frustrating. So our adhesive is reusable. Um, it's a directional dry adhesive. So there's no uh, chemicals, there's no residue or marring left behind. You can reuse it up to 120,000 times. And so on the space station, we made sure it was like space grade material. So it was like totally degassed. A bunch of testing went into that. And then we put it on this little astrobeak river, sent it to the space station where the little satellite can like go around and collect data during the day or like whatever you call international space time daytime. <laughs> and then it can like dock on the wall and like hold and recharge. And then it can like detach very easily and like keep floating around. Um, we also did testing on zero gravity planes with these like um, gripper things where it would engage and like these really large objects. I guess nothing really has a weight, but it has momentum. So we learned how to like grasp like objects as they were like moving and rolling and what's the best way to like take a hold of that without changing the trajectory of like the gripper plus the object. So that's pretty fun. And so what is, so it's an adhesive, but what is it actually used for? Like how would um, someone who's on the International Space Station actually use it on a day? Whatever space time is. So the user on the space station or or here on Earth, even too, it's a one-sided velcro. So basically, you're taking this adhesive, you're pulling it in shear, or you're having like two grippers in space with two grippers opposed in shear that like latch on. Um, it is a very visual thing. So like, sorry for our listeners not seeing it. Uh, we'll have really cool videos out on the website, geckomaterials.com. Uh, but you have two pieces of uh, adhesive. They're pulled in shear and they're extremely strong. And when you disengage in a direction that is not shear, they instantaneously detach. So there's no force needed. Um, so you're like, yeah, pull in shear, super strong, detach. Um, and it removes. And so you'd use it as you'd use anything that you'd use like a Velcro or like a semi-permanent attachment, you can use it for a permanent attachment. So you could adhere something and it could stay adhered. Um, in my like office, I put like a piece of tile with like a 15 pound weight on it and it's still there because like COVID can't go back, right? Um, so it can be for a long time. People in space are talking about taking dead satellites and refueling them. So that's one of the, the customers that we're talking to is they would take kind of uh, fuel packs and kind of like intercept or rendezvous as they call it with the satellite and then it would like attach the pack to the side so that would be a more permanent hold or if you're grasping space debris that's another one of our customers they're going to go up there and they're going to like engage in shear pull in that space debris collect it like release it after they need it once it's in like their you know deposit area um or you could just like again have a satellite attached to a wall and then like detach and you could like Take your tool and like place it on the like the side of the wall and then it would hold and then remove it so there's lots of applications basically the next industrial velcro it's one-sided so you don't need those two parts like normally would with normal velcro 
Very cool. That makes sense more. I'm also a visual person. So like you explaining it. it. (laughs) You explaining it in that way. Like, okay, that that makes more sense. I'll have to look at your website too after and link it for everyone. But uh with that, because you kind of talked about your journey and what you do now, but what is your best piece of career advice? And if you could also tailor it to individuals who might want to start their own business or are thinking about that, maybe they're not even in college and have no idea where to begin. Uh, just want to hear what your piece of advice would be. So piece of advice, there's so many. Um, be passionate and do what you love. Don't ever do it for the money. You're doing what you love. Money will follow. Um, there are more regulations than you think. <laughs> Play by the books. Um, so like this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like boiling down to like one piece of advice. Just really having the passion to start the, your business because that passion is going to have to like drive you through the really hard times. And there will be really hard times. Like 95% of the time, I absolutely love what I do. There's like very rare times that I'm like, actually, I even probably go to say like 99% of the time, I love what I do. There are hard days. I'm not going to like lie and say like, oh, I'm being great. And there are like sometimes really hard days. And there are days of like, you know, you're worried, you're you're doubting, you know, yourself and like imposter syndrome is like a huge thing that Stanford always has workshops on. <laughs> like, oh, I recall that workshop. But like having the passion and like believing in yourself, even like at your very young age and you want to start a business and you truly have it in your heart to start a business, like make sure that you just keep that voice inside your head because there are going to be people that say no. There are going to be people that say you're crazy. They're like, why are you doing like these steps when like clearly like this is a path somebody else did and they were successful. Why don't you do that path? It's like, no, you really have to be true to yourself, your passion. And if this is what you want to do, just go for it. Like start the business, start the company, try because you will learn so much out of it that you won't ever regret it because like 99% of the time you're having a blast. Even if it's really hard days, like the learn and the growing, I feel like I've gotten like an MBA and a JD throughout this, not to insult any NBAs or JDs listening, but I feel like starting a business, you really like, you're put through it. Like you were just like, bam, you're in it. You're like reading like 50 page legal documents and you're like, oh my gosh, what are half of these terms? And then you like research it and you learn and grow. So just having that passion, that like one piece of advice would be like, have the passion to get you through those days and don't ever lose the passion. And if you start to lose it, just do whatever you have to do to recharge and gain it again. Like go on vacation. Come on here. But no, that, that's super awesome. I think passion is huge. And then I really like what you said too about if you're doing what you're passionate about, the money will follow. Because I think like this, for example, like I love podcasting. Do not get paid for it at all. Actually, I'll lose money on it right now. I'll be honest. But I just, I really like it. And I'm really passionate about just being able to share like uh, individuals like the story and like how you got to where you are. So that's really, really uh, great. But I do have one more follow-up question, which I think just is around, uh, let's say someone is in the very, very beginning of stages. I know a couple of people who listen to this are, they've started a business, but they're not really getting people coming in more of a client-based type of business, but what are those things like besides passion, I think is huge. Um, what are those things that you feel like 
two to three other things that are really important for like square one individuals. Okay. Um, having good foundational documents to start the business, I guess like very, very basic is like, make sure you set up the company and you do it correctly the first time because that can just be a headache and you just, that's not what your business is for, but just like get it done and just do it. And then once you have like your like EIN and all your government entity numbers and everything like that, and you can like, you know, have your sales permit, things like that, then doing need finding, it's really important. Like physically getting something into the person's hands, if it is like a physical product or say it's like a bit of code or like an app or something, even if you're like, no, I just need a couple more hours to work on it. Like I just need, like, it's almost there. It's almost there. You need to like feel confident enough and like, it can be fake confidence too. Like that's totally fine. You could like hype yourself up with a bunch of sugar and you're like, this is great. Like at that moment, don't stop, walk out your door and hand it to somebody you either know or you don't know. I think it is good and wise to like have your control group be some of like your friends and some of your support system because they will give you feedback, but it might be a little sugar-coated, which isn't the worst thing. And then once you get that round and like, if you have to make any adjustments, ask people to be really honest with you because at the end of the day, like you want people to buy your product and you need it to be able to pivot and adjust early on to make the best product. So then give it to people that are, are strangers that don't have any stake in your feelings, which I know that sucks and it's really hard to hear, but you want people to be kind of be as brutally honest. And then if you're like, you know, just starting to take a moment and have, have some ice cream, walk on the beach, you know, um, but then try to work on like, how doable is it to pivot this or like to make this adjustment? Like, I know that you're set on this function or this like, you know, one thing that it did with like sparkly rainbows coming out of your cursor or whatever, like, you know, you have to be able to like internalize and hear what people want, what they need, because like you making a difference, like you could be fixing someone's real problem instead of just adding like a sparkly effect to it. And I think that's a really important thing is like find issues. Like we, there are so many startups and to really differentiate between different companies that are VCs to give money to people that are just starting out. You have to be passionate, but you also have to be solving like a problem, like an actual problem that you can like pinpoint and say like, this is a need. Even if it's only a need for like 10 people in like the city, well, there's lots more cities. So if there's 10 people here and 20 people there, like there you have 30 people. So it's not about the heavy user base at the beginning. I mean, that's awesome and great if you can get that, but it's like really solving a problem that people are going to keep wanting to like reuse and use again and again. So like need finding is so important. Asking those questions, having your customers give lots of feedback, like at the beginning and be as brutally honest as possible. And like looking at that with like, as much as it hurts because it's like your baby looking at that with like very open eyes and being like, okay, how can I improve? And then going back to those same people that were brutal to you um, is also helpful because then you can be like, okay, is this person just like kind of maybe a rude person or like they were trying to help me and they do have a problem. Now I can solve it. And then they're like, wow. And then it like grows. And then you finally make a product that like solves their problem. Yeah. I think also having it be, niche is something that I think is really cool and something about your product it's like okay maybe not the average person is using it yet or right now but the fact that like it's a great product for the international space station that it's not like there's not many people up there but 
that is like in itself just like such a great reach to other individuals who then can recommend the product. So that is really awesome. And I guess just lastly to close this out, is there anything else you'd like to share? Advice, wisdom, a funny joke? <laughs> I'm not super good at jokes, so I'll leave it to you to share whatever you would like. <laughs> we definitely have uh, done this well though and sharing all your wisdom. So I'll let you, what you think, but yeah. So I will. Yeah, just like advice is like start with passion, lean on data, and shoot those stones. Like shoot as high as you can, and come up with those crazy ideas because like that's what actually changes the world. Those are people that are crazy enough to think they can, mm -hmm. and always set a time side a time for emails because you can answer emails literally for like 20 hours out of the day so like just set aside your like email window and don't answer emails in other portions of your day like I mean you can obviously like look at it you're like this is important but if people know that like okay this is our email blog then you won't have that FOMO anxiety like I'm not answering that emails I'm gonna feel like I'm missing out on something it's like People will, you know, set up meetings and set up times and you can be very like focused and intentional with the people that you're meeting. And they, I think ultimately respect that. Like, yes, it's great for those people that answer emails like in two seconds. Sometimes when I'm on my email, I can do that, but I'm like on my email. But if I'm not, I'm like, hey, you know what? I am a human and I'm going to set a time, side a time for emailing because that's a huge black hole that people get sucked down to. And that tends to kind of ruin uh, days, but just have fun, you know, like learn, grow, set goals and repeat and just do that until, you know, the end of time while having some fun and, and changing lives. So yeah, very excited and blessed um, to be here. Thank you for having us. And, you know, Gecko Materials or PVC, which is a public benefit court. Hopefully maybe some of people listening will look into public benefit courts, they're for profit, but they have a mission statement to change the world in a, um, in a certain area, ours is sustainability and um, energy efficiency. So that's part of our mission statement you can find online. But just like making the world a cleaner and greener place using our adhesive since it's lightweight, low power, um, there's no additional cost or components, and you know we can help other people innovate. And so just having a very clear mission statement for your company, um, just stick with it and you got this. Good luck. <laughs> No, that's good. Thank you so much for being here. And I just love learning about your experience, but I think it's really awesome. It's something that I want to do initially to start this podcast for women who are passionate about careers and business and really growing in that way. Because I think a lot of times those like big, audacious, crazy, quote unquote, crazy goals are crazy to some people, but people who are actually willing to do it and follow through on it, that's what actually makes the impact. So I think you're such a great example of that and one of the main reasons why I asked you to be here. But uh, with that, we'll close out the podcast. So if you like this podcast, please leave us a review, subscribe, uh, go ahead and follow Capella's uh, <laughs> Instagram as she's typing which one it is. So at Gecko Materials on Instagram and I'm at Automodine and then it was geckomaterials.com, yes. right? Yeah. So go check out her business and go support it and uh, such a great way to really be bettering the earth and those around her. So that's awesome. And lastly, I hope you enjoy Grace Your Standards and we'll see you next time. Thank you.